It is Sunday, May 16th, 2004, Life Change and Ministries and Fellowship. My name is Matthew Perot. Perot. Okay. Boom. We can justify him there. Um, I, the topic for today is going to be the necessity and power of in intercessory prayer. It's kind of a mouthful. But the necessity and power of intercessory prayer. So if you're taking notes, that's what it is. Even for those of you in CD land. The necessity and power of intercessory prayer. Huh? I'm on it. Feed me, Seymour. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, one of the things that uh, I've been praying about for a while, and reasons that one of the reasons that Jesus laid this on my heart, this particular subject, because we had studied, or uh, Eric had preached about, um, just basically the power of prayer, being persistent in prayer. And accompanying that into performing warfare. And this is more or less going into a specialized area of prayer uh, and, and seeing the, the immediate need and benefit of it, but more or less how it's portrayed in the Word. Because prayer in general can really encompass a lot of different types of things that go on. Um, and that we're going get, to get into the, basically the four or really five different types of prayer that exist. One of the things that come in our mind at first is going to be uh, really dependent upon your background. For us, it's sometimes it, it may be something that's chanting or, <laughs> not chanting, but something that's memorized and recitable. The world, when they think of prayer, typically they think of a certain large institution throughout the entire world that does performs this holy act of or this holy object really is what it becomes. But saying these words over and over again, thinking that their works are going to get the attention of God. Basically, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get God's attention to get him to do something. If you can't remember anything else about this message, remember this about prayer. Is that when we pray, there are times when we pray to God. But in a sense of intercessory prayer, we're not begging Jesus to do something. We, as born-again believers, we have the power through prayer to change other circumstances and or, or items or people. Prayer is a means or an avenue to distribute God's power and his will throughout the earth. And we are the means that we perform it with. So, like I said, if there's anything that, that, that you remember out of this message, that you guys who are born again have the power through prayer to alter natural circumstances. So supernatural means for a natural change. One of the first types that most people are, or most or most of the world is most familiar with, we mentioned it before about the reciting prayer, you know, Hail Mary, what have you. Uh, but basically, before I was born again, it's more of a personal testimony, I would pray every single night, six months before I was born again. Now, Step back and analyze it right there. Okay, I prayed, but I wasn't born again. So what did my prayers really consist of? I think a lot of you can relate to this. Went to bed. The first things that came out of my mouth. Forgive me for this. Forgive me for that. I messed up this place. I did this wrong. I did that wrong. I did that wrong. Because immediately coming to God, there was an overwhelming sense of guilt. I did not have peace with God. I wasn't reconciled to God. So therefore, when I start talking to him, I just start spilling my beans. It's no different than when you walk into a room with someone you're at odds with, and you know you have to talk to them, and either your body language says it or your mouth says it. It's a sense of guilt, especially if you've done them wrong. It's really that that's the depicting image, that you perform something that damaged them or hurt them. Well, that's the state that, that we're all in before we're born again and we attempt to pray with God. Later on in the word, I think it's in Hebrews, is that our, it says that our consciences are sprinkled with blood. Going back to some of the, the altar 
things in, in the tabernacle set up for the Israelites is that they were cleansed or everything was sprinkled with the blood that would consecrate it or it would, it would sanctify it. Sanctifying meaning, it's a question for you guys, set apart for God's use. So now, and with that key term set in mind, whenever we're born again, the blood of Jesus, not bulls and goats obviously, the blood of Jesus is sprinkled upon our minds or upon our consciences and sanctifies it or sets it apart for God's use. We can say in a general sense that in the entirety of our lives is, is at Jesus' disposal, 100%. But we start thinking on an individual basis. You know, my pinky, set apart for God's use. My nose, set apart for God's use. But really, you go down to the heart of the matter of who you are. Obviously, your spirit is born again. It's one with God's spirit. It's renewed. It's made alive. Move on down to your soulish realm or what you normally operate on, you know, in a natural basis, your conscience and your mind. When Once that is sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, when you're born again, it is set apart for God's use. God is supposed to use your mind. Part of that is our responsibility to read the word, to put the word in. Hey, yo. <laughs> uh, to put the word into our minds to, to do what? To consecrate it by filtering out what is bad, getting rid of what's not supposed to be there, get the right kind of thinking, and then give Jesus the opportunity to move through our minds and operate in, in the word-based thinking. Those three words, word-based thinking. So, with that in mind, my conscience, my spirit is renewed. It's made one with God. My conscience is sprinkled with the blood. It's filled with the word. Now you have become an entity that can be a very, very powerful prayer warrior. Now, for those of us who are spirit-filled, we have a, a compensation package. We'll, we'll get into other types of prayer. But for the most part, when someone is not born again, they, they pray out of guilt. Then they move into their, their needs. I need this. Jesus is a Santa Claus. Lord, I need uh see my mother to get well, get over her bunions. Uh, I need my kid to get better. I need more finances. Uh, and Okay, that's good. Bye. So it's really an inward. From the beginning, it's, it's an inward focus. It's I'm coming to basically this king sitting on, on a, a, a throne with a, a big rod in his hand. If I don't say the right things and do the right sequence, I'm going to get struck down and I'll be killed. Or it will not be accepted. He will not accept my gifts or my plea. Well, we know that once we get born again, that, that typification and that relationship demolishes. It goes more on an intimate level. That begins with an expression of an internal or, or internal thought or internal attitude. Those type of things have different types of, of expressions. One of the ones that we just experienced is worship. Worship is a type of prayer. It begins whenever we begin to, to unfocus from the, the things around us and things in this world and put our focus directly on Jesus and who he is about. That's one of the reasons why I made it very specific and detailed about what we thought about during worship. I can always assume, well, they'll think on Jesus and you know, they'll set their mind on things above. Well, as I begin to bring things about as the Spirit leads me, it begins to direct our thoughts towards him. It's an internal thought or an internal attitude towards Jesus. It becomes one of peace, of love, and of, uh, of worship. Now, begin to walk in the flesh and get away from the word-based thinking. Get away from the, the tools that enable you to cast aside the toxins or the, the things in your flesh or sinful nature that corrupt your thinking. And you might find yourself speaking or having an internal thought and attitude towards God that's negative. And to some degree, that's when you start to express it, whether it may not be directly to him or just out in the air, that begins to become negative prayer or a negative expression. That's almost synonymous with, or I say it is, to a curse. When, when you say we think of curse words, we think of individual words that contain uh, a vulgarity to them or contain a connotation 
that is degrading towards someone else or about a certain subject. But by having a negative attitude and thought internal expression about something that Jesus is trying to do can is a result of or ends up in a result of a negative prayer or begins to be like a curse. Well, we know that through applying the word, we cast those things down and we set our minds on whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, such and so on. I just gave away one of my verses we're going to talk about later. Um, the third kind that we're most familiar with is prayer in the spirit. Now, I know you guys know that whenever a man prays in the spirit, his mind is unfruitful. That means that there's a total disconnect means unless it's revelation by the Spirit to your mind of what your Spirit is actually saying. Case in point is this. Not long after I got filled with the Spirit, I heard all kinds of stories about um, what it was like to pray and what type of cases that, that Jesus would, would, or things that Jesus would do in me as I prayed in the Spirit and kind of the different avenues praying in the Spirit has alone. One of them was... Um, the beginning of, of my prayer time, I would pray in the Spirit just to kind of, you know, clear my mind. So my mind wouldn't have to think about anything or think of words to make up, but that my spirit would just pray and get an attitude of worship, an attitude of communion with God. Um, I'm not going to relate to that. Um, but as I began to pray, I noticed that a tone, a, a gear would shift in my, my, in my prayer in the Spirit. And I would all of a sudden have a burden. I would have a, a longing for someone, something, or an area even within the world, China, Israel, or a certain region. Well, it began to, to come to a point where I would start to get basically a word of knowledge about what my spirit man was praying for. There are times when I find out the result of that, and it's true. There are times when I don't, especially when I pray on a real distant basis. There was a guy who was a missionary, I believe, in um, India or, or South China. Somehow or another, he was captured by their army for being a missionary, for advancing the gospel in, the king, in, in their country when it was illegal. Um, he was picked up by these captors, put on a train, sent a long way to some kind of camp. And uh, they interrogated him for weeks and days. He was a normal businessman. You know, he would live right here in Houston, have his own business, have a secretary, have you know, employees, uh, just normal everyday life, but also involved in ministry. Well, during that interrogation, I mean, they they made him, you know, basically squeezed him to try to get him to recant about Jesus, to say, uh, you know, bad things about Jesus, to disclaim being a Christian. When and because he was American as well, they said, you know, ask for the. Uh, forgiveness of sins for all the what the Americans have done. Basically, you know, you're the representative, you're their ambassador, so you're taking all the heat for everything America has done for years and years. They tortured him, they beat him. He was just in, in miserable shape. Well, you know, the whole time this guy's spirit-filled, he's born again, he's praying under his breath and praying in spirit, Jesus, deliver me, Jesus, deliver me. Um, now, he did have a secretary who was spirit-filled back at his office. And... She, she knew of a certain kind of trip that he was going on, but not aware of the immediate danger that he was now in because there's no way he could have relayed that back to the U.S. Well, as she began to, to, to do her work, the same time he was sitting in that chair being interrogated, um, she all of a sudden had a burden on her heart and in her spirit to fall down on her knees and begin to pray, pray in the spirit. She had no idea what was going on in English. And just this burning sensation. And she prayed in the Spirit and she labored for about two or three hours. During that two or three hours, the mood and the attitude of the guards holding him prisoner kind of changed. They said, fine, we'll let you go free, but you're on your own. you got to find a ride. They were right by the train station or the train rack, track. So he runs outside, jumps up on the window. They didn't let him use the bathroom or anything, so he is just funkadelic. I mean, he's got stuff all over him. So he's not real appealing when he jumps up through the window. He's probably very, very repulsive. And he starts asking in English, does anybody speak English? Does anybody speak English? Nobody spoke English. I think one man who was from India came up 
and uh, and asked, oh, the the guards had asked him, you know, you can go free. There's the train. That's your means of transportation. But first, you got to bring this back, like a hundred dollars or something like that. And you're in a foreign country outside of the U.S. U.S. currency, I think, besides London or some other couple places, U.S. currency is very very valuable. It's not something people are just going to readily give out. Well, the guy from India said that he was a he was a Christian, and that uh, he saw this guy, saw his need, and pulled out like a hundred bucks and gave it to him. The guy took that money, went back, gave it to the guard, said, "Okay, you're free." So the dude ran back to the train, got on the train, and eventually made his way back to the U.S. Well, coming back into his office, the secretary asked him, "How was your trip?" Remember that two three hours she was praying and had zero clue what was going on. How was your trip? And he said, oh, you wouldn't believe it. And he started explaining all in, in detail everything he had been through. And uh, she said, what day was that? Well, you know, such and such day. Around what time? Uh, you know, this time frame. She said, wow, that was Jesus. He said, what do you mean? He said, at that same time, I was on my knees behind my desk, praying in the Spirit fervently for you for about two or three hours. So that's just one case of an intercessory type prayer, but involving being praying in the Spirit, bypassing what our mind thinks, because it can be unfruitful, <laughs> especially in mine, uh, and being led by the Spirit of what to pray for or how to pray, either one. Now let's move into, in detail, in intercessory prayer. I might need somebody to read for me. Um, Romans 8.26 Mandy and First Corinthians fourteen, Cass. Yes. In accordance with God's will. Now, the word intercede, I guess boiled down or translated, means to, to pray for or to pray uh, in the, in, instead of or, or to stand within the gap for somebody. That means that if I pray for, uh, for David about a certain situation or for him, him in general, I am coming to his aid and by my prayer coming in between him and his obstacle in aiding him with the power of prayer. So, in, in, in this case, uh, I'll, I'll go back to another one of my stories. About two weeks before I got born again, I was studying heavily in the Word about being baptized in the Spirit and speaking in tongues. And I, I wanted to understand more about it. How does it work? Is God going to shake my tongue and I'm going to speak in tongues? And you know, I'm, I'm going to feel fire, see fire, a little flame above my head. Now, what's going to happen? Well, uh, I remember getting on my knees, and right after reading that scripture in Romans 8:26, I did not know how to pray in the Spirit. No one had yet taught me about it or given me the revelation about it. So I did my best to express that. I got on my knees on the corner, and I began to groan. <laughs> because, because it mentions groans in Romans 8:26, I started groaning. I kept waiting for this feeling, this, you know, fuzzy, warm feeling, the goosebumps or something, that what Jesus was doing. It never did really come. <laughs> I felt kind of awkward. But I was trying to do something out of my purest heart because I felt this overwhelming burden of what I was dealing with at that point in time, and I could not express it with English. I couldn't express it with my own words. So I got on my knees and just started, started crying out to God in groans. Well, shortly after, two or three weeks later, I get filled with spirit. I learned how to properly do it <laughs> by actually praying in tongues. So, you know, that's one case. Um, so here we have the Holy Spirit interceding for us, but actually it's through us. And there are times when I have to begin to pray in faith or begin to pray in the Spirit in faith because I don't feel my natural mind, my body, whatever, doesn't feel like being in the presence of God. It doesn't feel like being a conduit for his power. It I don't uh, I feel like I'm not, at that point I don't feel like I'm useful, which is a lie, because at any point in time I can be useful for Jesus, especially in my weakness. Uh, 
Go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 14, 13 through 14. Uh, that's just the, the scripture reference backing up what I said. Uh, I know you guys experienced this, and you can shake your head if you do. But for the majority, I'd say 90% of the time when I'm praying in the Spirit, I have zero clue of what I'm saying. I say 98 or maybe 99% of the time. To those who in the world are logical, there's nothing more foolish to them than this. It's for someone to babble on and on with words that make zero sense to the natural mind. But as far as we know, it is, it is total opposite. It is the power of God manifest in my tongue. Now think of it this way. You go, you go, think of that scripture in James. You know, to tame the tongue is a hard thing. Well, now, after Jesus has come and poured out his spirit, he has made it that much easier for Christians and people who love God to tame their tongue. If you feel like you have a bad attitude or have something in your heart that may come out but you're scared it will, begin to pray in the Spirit. That will begin to tame your tongue so that you don't have negative prayers, but you start having positive prayers. Prayers that will have impact and advance God's will. Um, I'll find something else, but I'll move on. Um, one of the the avenues or things that we see the most as far as intercessory prayer is the prayer for healing and, and miracle working power. The difference being that healing, as we pray for healing, is God aiding the circumstance or beginning to, to bring life into a situation or an object. For instance, somebody's knee. Well, their, their knee's been scraped, been damaged, been hurt, been burned. What would normally take three weeks takes three days. That's healing. It's, it's aided and, and quick progression of, a, of a, uh, a situation. You can even look into it as something internally, something as damaged emotions, um, scars from the past. What would normally take someone psychological counseling for ten years, Jesus is able to do within a year time or even six months of teaching you a series of, of lessons and events that weed out what shouldn't be there. That is healing as well. Now, on the flip side, or in addition, there's miracle working power. It's instant. It's lightning. Whenever I first got born again, there were certain issues that I had. Uh, you know, For instance, when I was dipping Copenhagen, I was totally addicted. Every time I ate after the meal, I had to have my dip. And I would get so frustrated, I was angry with myself because I was so addicted to it, but I couldn't let it go. And it's something small and natural, but it's kind of funny. Another reason I hate it so much is because it would, I would always have my cups next to my bed, and I'd get out of bed in the morning, I'd trip over it and step all in it. <laughs> it was just gross. It was a gross habit. And chicks really digged it <clears throat> in other parishes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I hate it with passion. When I was born again, uh, immediately that desire, that wanting, that longing went away, as well as some other habits and emotional issues that I had. Uh, just uh, struggling with at that point in time, they immediately went away. Others remained. Praise God they remained because they keep me weak and keep me uh, always in check and sober judgment of who exactly I am. We are not all perfected until we receive our glorified bodies that are fully empowered by the Spirit of God. That way, no man, no man can claim that he has arrived to perfection and no longer needs God. One of the most amazing things is to study history and watch as man's intelligence increases without the balance of the word. I'll, I'll say that because we're not called to be stupid. Without the balance of the word and man's intelligence increases, they become more and more wicked. Why? Because they begin to logically remove God from the equation. They see things in this logical manner or they really begin to feel like they are God themselves because they're able to grasp so much more than most people can. Major examples are Nazis. Nazis were very, very intelligent. 
but they were very, very wicked as well. Uh, the next, I guess, avenue or means of intercessory prayer is um, God's will to be known. Raise your hand if you know that one. <laughs> I do. Um, let's turn to Colossians 4.12. David, catch up for me. Colossians 4:12. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you, and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in the house. After this letter has been read to me, see it is also read in the church of Laodicea, that you are returned to me with the letters from Laodicea. Not long after being spirit-filled, I read that scripture uh, again, but it jumped out at me. God's spirit really illuminated to me and, show, and showed that while in prayer, there are going to be a couple things that will happen. He, this guy struggled in prayer for you, or basically wrestled in prayer. That means... He went to bat for someone or he advanced the will of God in that person's life by the means of prayer. Some can do it by finances. Some can do it by physically helping someone. For the majority, there also needs to be this bathing in prayer or this wrestling prayer for someone else's life and the will of God to happen in their life. My salvation began because someone did that exact same thing. They saw me, they met me one time, and Jesus laid on their heart the will of God for my life. It was God's will that I become born again, and that she was going to be the instrument that God would use. She began to pray. She began to wrestle in prayer. We will wrestle in prayer for salvation, number one, because we're advancing God's kingdom by taking over our enemy's territory. Much more so in our own lives, as we advance God's will in our lives, we are progressively getting stronger progressively get more powerful and therefore more of a threat to our, our enemy. So when, after I read that, I understood that when I, when I began to pray for people, it was no longer just a list and all I had to do was just call it out. Because I, I did that for a long time. I thought by just calling it out, it was good. You know, so that way I could have a, you know, a five-section binder and just basically perform my act Okay, I brought all these people up, and it should come to pass. Give it about uh, about three weeks. Yeah, be about right. Well, now it was by being led in the spirit of who and what to pray for. At times, it will be greater intensity than others. Think of it this way. As far as all, all of us coming here to Houston, in some shape or form, there's been some form of struggle. Someone, we don't know who, either for internally for one another, uh, but also maybe abroad. And think of it this way. Maybe someone even in China or Indonesia that is born again and spirit-filled has struggled in prayer and wrestled in prayer for us by praying in the spirit or praying in their native tongue. So not only are, are we the, the givers of this intercessory prayer, but we are also the receivers, knowingly or unknowingly. And there are times when in my work, during worship, or some given circumstance where I feel down and I feel oppressed, I feel basically just like a 20-ton rock is sitting on my shoulders, that all of a sudden it's like the heavens will just break. And I have this peace and I have this renewing. It's like, oh, there's my brain. I found it. And I, I realize what's going on. Everything's clear to me. And I'm able to fully function in the spirit like I should. Well, there are times when I find out and times I don't. But I find out that someone at that specific time was praying for me in an intercessory manner. That the will of God could be fully accomplished in my life in that particular time period. So God is hes not limited to time, but he operates within time. Uh, Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3. Ms. Jennifer. 
pretty good using first. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, I'm sorry, three, uh, one through five. One of the things that I know I personally, and it's easy for all of us to do this, is to take for granted someone else's well-being and their safety. There's nothing that, that rocks a church more, even a personal household, than someone becoming majorly injured. Uh, and you always think that, I mean, you never out loud think, oh, it never happened to me. But because it all goes well for the majority, when the minority happens, it's, it's kind of a shock. One thing Paul went through on a constant basis when in ministry was persecution and beatings. And it's kind of understandable, yeah, he would pray that. But also there's a call for us to pray for one another's safety and well-being. Not only that the will of God take place in their life, the healing and, and anointed and awesome things happen in their life, but also that their safety and their protection. We, not, we, may, not be, we not, may not be persecuted by the world or in our hometown but there are things that we are at risk in that if if the devil takes the opportunity and tries and he will try to harm one of you guys and therefore cripple this ministry whether or not it was four people sitting out here or if it was four thousand if it was just one of us one of the sheep are injured it affects the entire flock and I I know the shepherd shepherd would be deeply concerned Take for granted, or taken in case uh, Stephen, whenever he was stoned, heavens parted. There's Jesus standing next to the Father. Like, who you mess with? Uh, let me read Romans 15:31 as well. Actually, 30. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God. For me. Pray that I might be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. The necessity of intercessory prayer is. is is the fact that men of God who operate in the anointing cannot do that by themselves. If we're strictly dependent upon them alone, they wouldn't make it, or they wouldn't perform to the best they could. It requires those. And Paul just straight up, he went out and asked it. I could say, well, oh man, he needs to be prayed for and all that kind of stuff. You know, I thought he was anointed. I thought he was a man of God. I thought, you know, he could do it by himself. No. He, he's de- deliberately asking for them to pray with him and to really join with them in advancing God's will in, in that specific area. But, but more or less, as we see the, the need, the, the outward need for prayer within ministry, uh, whether or not you're walking down the street or sitting in your home, act upon it. It first comes through your mind, it's easy for it to come in and go right back out. You get involved with something else and get involved in some other activity. One of the worst things that, that plagues my prayer life, it isn't phone calls, it isn't kids, it's not anything else. It's, it's clutter in my house. This is just me. I begin to walk around and pray. And I'm having a good time. I'm worshiping. And I start seeing toys laying around. It just starts to roll through my mind well, I'll keep praying. I'll, I'll just pray and bend down and pick it up and throw it in, in the little container or start wiping the cabinets or something like that. It's nothing more than a distraction. I have to step back and, wait, shake it off. That's not right. That's taking my mind and my focus off of what's necessary for interceding for someone else or for something else happening in my life or someone else's. So uh, be, be well aware of that, that 
there will be things, I promise you, there will be things that will come up and distract you from your prayer life and attempting and performing this intercessory prayer. Um, let's see. Colossians 1.9. Mandate. Now what what makes intercessory prayer so much not so much more different but different from other forms of prayer such as the ones we talked about earlier uh, praying for our own needs because intercessory is more directed towards someone else or something else our own needs what's going on in our life such and so on you could read that scripture. The, the idea here, Paul's in prison or he's being persecuted. I'm sure he has several things he can pray about, several things he can complain about. One of the major things that intercessory, intercessory prayer does is that it's a means of servanthood to someone else. There's got to be some kind of connection here. With my kids... There's a major difference when my kids ask me something in a whiny tone, in what whiny tone, or come and just begin whine, whine, whine. It grates my nerves, man. I can't stand it. It's another thing when they come up and they have a good attitude, and it really, my, my little girl hasn't really gotten to this point yet. In some cases she has. My wife can maybe fill me in. But when they start requesting things to bless other people, outside of themselves no ulterior motive not to bless them so they get blessed as well but to bless someone else you'll see the two different attitudes if something that's hitting your prayer is that you know you always feel down or like you're complaining to God well pray for somebody else it's no different than when you're feeling down and feeling blue like you're not useful in the kingdom go do something for someone else go out of your way Make a sacrifice and serve somebody else in some form or fashion. If you cannot do it physically, if you are bound and limited, get on your knees and pray for somebody else. And watch the peace of God, watch the strength of God, and watch the anointing fall on you and resolve all of your personal conflicts. There's nothing that Jesus loves more than someone to lay down their own life in some form or fashion to serve and love someone else. That makes that makes his spirit just welcome and I mean like an autobahn to your situation and into you. There's nothing more that grieves him than a selfish spirit that wants to sit there and whine and complain about their own situation. Now there are times when we are oppressed and we do need to, to lift up what we're thinking and what we're feeling sometimes to Jesus, but to be honest with you, it's it's very limited. Because if, not, if I'm not careful, I will spend 90% of my prayer on that and 10% for someone else or something else. It becomes a whining session. Is that good? Yeah. That's part of the, one of the first steps in the power of intercessory prayer. Uh, let me go ahead and let me read this one. Second Corinthians 5. I mean, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves. I'll wait. <laughs> I can flip much faster. 13, 5 through 10. Examine yourselves to see... What? Wait, that put it... Oh, I got that Maccabean version. 
Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Wow, that's... <laughs> wish people did that more. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Most people... What was that survey done? 80% of Americans claim to be Christian. They go to church. I wish they would see this. It's like the majority of them would fail. No, they have black highlighted. They started at 1 Corinthians 12 and all the way through. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not that people will see that we have stood the test, but that you will do what is right even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is for your perfection. That was Paul's heart. He was, I know this guy was constantly in prayer and concerned about those he had invested time. It wasn't just a matter of writing letters to people. But he went to a town and spent years investing his life and all the revelation that Jesus had given him about the word. And about who Jesus was, the gospel, in these people. And his prayer was for their perfection. Not his own. For their perfection. This is why I write to you these things when I am absent. Then when I come, I may not, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. <laughs> the authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. So, once again, we see it as an added tool in, in ministry to build other people up and it's one thing to just preach to people and to give them the revelation of words, some manna, some good nuggets, some quick sayings, you know, be healed, not hurt, nah, 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 sanctified, not down, whatever, I don't know. But it's another thing to accompany that with ministry time and fellowship and also intercessory prayer. Because like we said, the power of that is aiding the other person to overcome whatever obstacle they face. Um... Let's go to Philippians 4, Cass. If you're taking notes, this is the sec- one of the second things that makes intercessory prayer different. We kind of touched on it earlier. But it, it internally in you, it focuses your mind on the need of others and it cures it's an absolute cure to the woe is me syndrome. Go ahead and read. Uh, four through eight. Now, in, in worship, you know, we, when I gave those instructions to set our mind on these things, you know, that, that, was, that was something we performed in here, but also it's something that we perform outside. Especially when your mind is a, a battlefield or something is competing for that place. Either it's to dwell on, uh, you know, certain circumstance that, that results are performed makes fruit in you that's not godly. If something that somebody has done to you, what they've said to you, if it hurts you, you find your mind to begin to dwell on this then, this, these things, then you enforce the latter part of Philippians 4. You know, what, whatever is noble, whatever is uh, lovely, I have to force my mind to think on those things and to discard the things that, that do not produce good fruit in me. By doing so, okay, what's the result of doing that? How is that going to solve my situation or my problem? By setting my mind was noble and pure, I am able to receive the, the, the perception and the insight that Jesus has on my situation. 
if I begin to dwell on my own natural thought and power on what's going wrong, either within me, within someone else, or a situation, then it's very, very hard for me to have the right perspective of how to deal with it. If I step outside of that, still aware that it's there, I will pay attention to it, but I will not let it control me. The man I begin to let it control me has become my master, and it has me on its strengths. But when I set my mind on things that are noble and pure, I begin to control it. I will dictate by being led by the Spirit of how this is going to be handled. And it, it, sometimes it's, it's a very, very tough thing to do. There are differences when it's just my flesh and it's just a, a thought that comes in my mind. But there are times, especially when you're smack dab in the, in the middle of the will of God, when it comes with an unusually strong power, where it feels like it's stronger than you are. And that's when we rise up in the Word, and I have to command my mind, and I have to command my being to set my mind on something else so that I can clearly see how to deal with that situation. Thirdly, the third key, or third thing about making ancestry prayer necessary and powerful, is that it is essential in advancing the kingdom. It is the key thing in advancing the kingdom in our own lives and in ministry. Reinhard Bonka, concrete thing, uh, you know, stable as, as, as rice in China. When he performs a, mir- uh, a ministry or an outreach to a certain section, there are certain things that he does. He has a plan. Now you say, well, you know, God's not bound to plans. This is something that uh, it's a guideline. I'm sure it's flexible, but that it's necess- necessary in advancing the kingdom when he's performing ministry. First thing is is to have a prayer team pray months in advance about reaching that individual area. The next thing is to take that prayer team or ministry team and send them out to go do that. While they're ministering to the people, handing out tracts, serving, they're also praying. They're bathing this entire thing in prayer. By the time Reinhard Bunker gets there, the field has been prepared. It's been worked. Do you just stop there? Now, okay, it's good for Reinhard. Go ahead and do it, man. No. As he is ministering to these people over a period of a week or two weeks, he has people either in the background or sometimes underneath the stage in deep intercessory prayer for the ministry to take place. And as we know, not just by sheer size. can't measure it by just size, but by the the depth and the impact and the available power of God that's present, we see that it works. I mean, it absolutely works. You can look at other things in the Word. You know, if I go around and uh, plan my day where I watch nothing but TV, play violent uh, computer games, do not renew my mind by the end of the day, I'm going to be kind of carnal. Well, if I set some kind of method or plan where I renew my mind in the morning, during the lunch, I kind of grab you know, my little boot knife, my, my pocket Bible, and <laughs> yeah, I didn't see everybody's eyes light up. I was like, maybe I need to specify what that is. Break out my pocket Bible and, uh, <laughs> and get some encouragement. And by, when I get home, you know, get the kids all fed, but put on some worship music and, and sit down and read the Word. It's easier for me to walk in the Spirit and avoid walking in the flesh. So same thing with here. For ministries to advance, in particular I'm talking about this one, for this one to advance and to grow and do what Jesus called to do, it also is going to require a good deal of intercessory prayer about some of the things that we're going to do, we're going to outreach. And really what I want to focus on and kind of the heart and reason why I'm doing this and saying this is that right now Erica's in Israel performing some type of ministry. And also, we got ministry going on here. I don't want to leave that out. But as, as the weeks go by, as you think about it, we're going to do it corporately today. We'll do it every single time we get together while he's gone. But we're going to lift up him and Gary while they're in Israel and also lift up this church and begin to get in this mode and really make it a habit of interceding for God's will to take place in this church and also for Eric and Gary while they're gone. Um, good, good, good. Uh, Ephesians 6.18. Dave, if you could read that. 
Ephesians 6.18. Uh, also jump to I'm sorry uh, that's a good one <laughs> go to Ephesians 1.15 as well that, that was the right one I want to, want to The key thing is I never want to make it a model or take something out of the Word and make it just a concrete thing of this is how you need to intercede for other people. You pray for wisdom and revelation. You pray there as the heart may be enlightened. But it's the attitude of what he's praying for. And, and as we begin to pray for this ministry and other people, and even people in your work, I mean that's, that's going to be a huge one, or people that you meet even within this neighborhood, Lift up some of these items in that same attitude and in that same direction. For somebody that's not saved, pray that the eyes of their heart are opened up and they receive the revelation of God. Not that my words really make a difference. Jesus is not limited to my vocabulary. Praise God he's not because he wouldn't get that far. But what it is is that you're, you're hitting the target specifically. I mean, if I lay my hands on Mandy say, Jesus, healer, I'm sure he's quite capable of healing whatever ails her wherever it's at. But if Jesus makes, Jesus makes it known that there's a certain area, a shoulder, an elbow, a knee, then we're able to focus on that one particular item. And going back to the power of intercessory prayer, we have the power not to make a request to God, Jesus, do this, do this for me, but we have the power to speak to that individual item. If it's, let's say, your elbow, we put our hands on your elbow, and we will, in the name of Jesus, command that elbow to be healed. I don't have to sit back and read in the Word for four hours and find out if it's God's will or not. I don't have to pray about it for a week. I know it's God's will because He has made His will known to me in His Word and by His Spirit that it is His will for us to advance His kingdom. This is part of advancing His kingdom. Amen? Amen. Fourthly and last is that intercessory prayer is participating in our call to be a priest. Now, beginning with the, the first priest really to show up on site, Melchizedek, he came and was an intercessory means between Abraham and God of establishing really the tenth, but this man who had in him or was the embodiment of the father of our faith, the promises of God, and the seed of God that would come forth and, and, and basically set up the kingdom that would eventually rule the entire universe, the entire earth, was in him, set up this, this heavenly priesthood through the promise of faith, not through the law, set up through faith but this guy was an intercessory means now you know you could say well could jesus have sent an angel could he send this or that it was unique that it wasn't an angel but the, you know this guy is strange he has no mother he has no father but he was a priest he was a priest from the heavenly temple that came down and, and was the intercessory means between abraham and god later on we see the the Levitical duties of the Levites and, and the priesthood, with how they performed. Let's say you, you guys came as a couple, and it was the Day of Atonement. It was, uh, you know, it may even go down into like if your your child had a rash and they went outside the camp, came back in, they had to perform some some type of offering, whatever. Well, you wouldn't come directly into the Most Holy of Holies. 
you are even into the inner place of the court. You would bring your sacrifice to me, and as a priest, I would take that sacrifice or take that that embodiment of your need and present it to God. In the same way, as we read in in, uh, in I think it's Second Peter, that we are a, a priest, a royal priesthood. We are part of that priesthood. Where now, no longer do we take sacrifices, but we take other people's issues and their needs, awaringly or unawaringly, and we make them known to God. But also, we have the power to pray about them so that they are changed, to speak into into their lives, change for their perfection. Go back to what Paul said, praying for their perfection. In fact, let's go to Second uh, Peter. I'm sorry, First, First Peter. One, or he had it pulled up. I just click on the tab, huh? First Peter chapter two, verse one. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Step one. Step two. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up into your salvation, now that you have tasted the Lord is good. Then, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, a holy intercessory means, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It goes on to quote the scriptures, and I think further down in, in 9 it says we're chosen people of royal priesthood. We saw the first two things, like we talked about earlier, even during worship. We get rid of all the toxins. We get rid of all the junk. We strip our, ourselves of our outer skin, our flesh, which holds this fat, and we offer it unto God to be burned. Then we come as like newborn babes, craving what is pure, craving what is right. And then we go into coming to him and and participating in this royal priesthood. Now, you know, we can always say the cliche term, you know, you don't you don't have to take a pre bath in order to take a bath or anything like that. We can come to Jesus. We as I come to Jesus, I'm getting rid of these things. You don't have to get yourself right in order to come to God. By coming into the presence of God, that's the beginning means of, of getting right, or getting in the right attitude, the right frame of mind. Um, the the next thing is, I'll read that. Acts six four. Jennifer, if you could read that. Yeah. For all of you guys who may just, I'm going to throw you smack dab in the middle of what's going on here. But you had the apostles of the church in Jerusalem. They were trying to minister to the people, but what was happening as they would get together, there were certain people who needed to be tended to. People preparing the food, serving the food, kind of doing the the, the working force of, of mingling and, and serving the people. Uh, so I think specifically the, the widows, uh, the Gentile widows, yeah, the ones that were not highly esteemed. So what happened was that their time was spent doing great things, doing means of servanthood, but it was taken away from what what the what the what the original role should be. To be able, it's no different than a general having masses of armies. You know, the one the guy who calls all the shots, 
taking a sword or his gun and run out in the battle. Well, you can't fully get a perspective of what needs to happen for the entire situation unless you're not fighting but managing the, the operation. Same thing here. The, the, the guys in ministry were, were basically right in the smack dab in the middle of the battle and the workings rather than to step back and, and perform the two things that were mentioned. And once again, they were... Jennifer? The, the two things that they were doing at the end of four? Prayer? Yeah. Prayer and ministry of the word. Now, ministry of the word, that's, that's common. That's known. That's you know, what's going on right now. That's a given. You, know, you go and buy $40 worth of tapes all day long, ministry of the word. But notice the other key component he put in there was prayer. If these guys were able to get away, just like Jesus did, find a lonely place and pray and intercede, not just for themselves, but for their entire church and for their entire body, lift them up and accompany that with the ministry of the word, then it's, it's a double-barrel shotgun. You're taking out some enemies and you're really advancing the kingdom. So uh, with that in mind, uh, let's stand up and make a little circle right here. We're going to lift up our, our brother in Israel. I want to record this. If we can't put it on CD, that's cool, but we'll record it. So you say something.